Today is Sunday, February 24th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 303, featuring ESPN writer Kevin Arnovitz, is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com win or use the promo code CLNS. 50 to get a 50% bonus on your next deposit. Show also brought to you by Mint Mobile. Get your new wireless plan and a new SIM card shipped to you for free for just $15 at mintmobile.com slash podcast. Also, we are brought to you by The Athletic. Get 40% off your monthly subscription just by going to theathletic.com slash Celticsbeat. All right, everyone, second half, quote-unquote, is underway. Adam Kaufman here with you on Celtics Beat. Welcome in. Get me on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman. All the usual spiels. Subscribe to the show, yada, yada, yada. Search iTunes, Celtics Beat. You'll get us, all right? We're underway. All-Star break is over. There's a ton going on, a lot of drama behind us, a lot of uncertainty concerning the future. I want to dive into all of it. Preamble ends there. Let's welcome in our guest, Kevin Arnovitz, covers the NBA for ESPN the Magazine and ESPN.com. Kevin, we have been trying to connect for this interview literally since last year's playoffs, so I'm thrilled to have you here. Yeah, it's good to be here. So we got a lot to talk about, especially as it centers around Kyrie Irving, and we'll get to him in a second. I don't really want to focus on the Celtics-Bucks game beyond saying it was an ugly first half, more competitive second half once everyone kind of shook off the all-star break rust, and then a disappointing ending for C's fans. But bigger picture, three meetings so far between these teams. Milwaukee's won two, though Boston has consistently been shorthanded. If there is a playoff rematch, knowing what you know right now, what's your view of that series? I think it's going to be an exceptionally entertaining and uh, really fun series. And actually, I, I don't think is I do think it's a series that we're going to see a game or two played in the '90s. Um, I, I think these are probably the two best defensive teams in basketball. I mean, I, I would suspect the Utah Jazz would be in that category. Maybe at the conclusion of the season, I still think they're sort of recapturing what they've had. But you know, I, I think kind of lost in all this is just how good defensively Milwaukee is and. I mean, the Celtics, I only saw kind of the last 14, 16 minutes of the game. Um, I was at Staples Center. But, um, you know, it, it, it is, the Celtics are so disciplined defensively. Uh, you know, it's why I think they're very scary. And I, I was talking about this with a colleague, like, as we were watching the game. And it was just like, look, I mean, I, I still think, you know, the Celtics are a team that's going to be reckoned with. And it's because disciplined defenses, I think, really thrive in the playoffs. Uh, and, and it's just... You know, I mean, I'm also interested to see how Milwaukee's. I mean, I've been really frustrated at times with their late game offense, and it's a team I absolutely love, and they're still sort of my, you know, they're they're still my my holder right now as my pick to come out of the East, mm-hmm. uh, just because I, I just think they're doing so many things well, and and there's just sort of an adherence to identity. But I do worry a little bit about that late game offense, uh, and it's it's kind of bewildering because. You know, they, they just run this beautiful stuff. They have this read and react system, and, and, and perhaps that's it. Perhaps the decision-making, you know, ad hoc in stressful moments is, is, is less, uh, you know, forgiving than if you have a set and you're getting the right shot for the right guy at the right times, you know, with sort of staged choreography. Um, and look, both those teams do a lot of read and react. I mean, the Celtics, I think, still are fundamentally a read and react team. Uh, and that's a good thing. Uh, their offense isn't, you know, kind of isn't as well oiled right now. I think as Milwaukee's, um, but I just I, I kind of trust their defense. 
and you know possibly because it's been something constructed over you know a series of years and also because Al Horford is still in my opinion kind of one of the great underrated players of this time well you got to be careful who you say that around around this city <laughs> you get uh it, yeah, it is it's trouble. really quite a split for calling I underrated a lot of it comes back to the contract more than anything else far more than the play or anything there there's a there's a, a division of people you have you know one camp and I am in it and I'm right like you thinking he's underrated believing that he's so important to this team he's not necessarily as he's playing well right now but much of this year mainly because of the injury he was dealing with wasn't as effective as he was last year if he finishes the way he's going right now and into the playoffs and we see playoff Al Horford like last year then terrific but there is a a large segment of people that will always look at him and expect because of the way he's paid the way he is to be a guy he's never been which is a you know a 20 and 10 guy just because hey max contract you should put up certain numbers it it sort of comes down to an argument of how well do you understand how closely do you watch the game but so but these are presumably the same people who think Marcus Smart is is a world beater even though he doesn't put up kind of conventional stats no, I think actually those two are probably linked in that if you think Al Horford's underrated, you also greatly appreciate all the things that Marcus Smart does and does well, whereas the people that think Al Horford is is overpaid are also the same people that think Marcus Smart puts up too many threes and he's not a good offensive player, and you people who love Marcus Smart vastly overrate the guy. So I, th- I think those camps are actually somewhat similar. Yeah, and, and this is a larger, I think, philosophical question for sports fans, which is, you know, once a guy is signed and the team furnishes him with money, you know, is he is he graded relative to that contract, you know, uh, right. as if people are in the business of rejecting the large amount of money versus the small amount of money? I think it always just comes down to, you know, market values, market value. Like Gordon Hayward, even if he didn't get hurt and resembled the player he was in Utah, is he still a guy that should be whatever he is, the sixth highest paid player in the NBA? Of course not. But that's what market value was at the time. That's what you had to do to sign him. And there are also kind of structural considerations with the CBA, which is you're always going to have this sort of strange thing where, hey, Mike Conley will be the you know, highest paid player at the time. Why? Because he's a 10-year service guy coming out at the right time, right. or his contract's coming out at the right time. Right. And, you know, the, ma- the, the max sort of provides a sort of artificial ceiling, right? Like LeBron is going to make what Gordon Hayward makes it, at times, you know, and like that's, and that's just one of the vagaries of the system, um, which actually, frankly, why I'm against the max system. I mean, we're getting into the weeds here, but yeah. um, I mean, I just think Horford is, he's so good defensively, Um I, I think he allows Brad to do what Brad fundamentally wants to do um, offensively, and you can't do that without spacing. You know, I, I think there's always a bit of Brad that probably grits his teeth a little bit when Baines is out there, or someone with not conventional stretch. I mean, Baines actually, is, as we all know, it's become sort of serviceable. Um, but but Al kind of gives you an entire other dimension, also because Al knows where to go in space. Mm-hmm. Al cannot touch the ball in a possession, and he will make a possession happen surely by knowing improvisationally where to go. I mean, uh, Rob Mahoney of Sports Illustrated has a, has, a, has a sort of a maxim where he says, you know, he judges people on two criteria in life, how they treat weight staff and what they think about Horford's game. And I, I sort of have <laughs> submitted to this. It's, it's kind of a brilliant construct for, uh, yeah. And again, I, I don't want to overrate the guy. I don't, I don't, I don't think he's one of the five or 10 best players in basketball. But I just think he's he's kind of vitally important for what they do and sort of like it's a it's a team that's going to sort of, I, I think, subsist on, on sort of a collective intelligence. And I, and I think he's a big part of that. 
You know, Kevin, it's just for Boston in general, it's really been a, a whirlwind five weeks or so. Marcus Morris said the Seas weren't having fun despite a stretch that they were winning 12 out of 15 going into the break. Kyrie Irving calls out the younger guys on the team again in a chat with your colleague, Rachel Nichols. Then he vents at the media recently for being too intrusive when he was video talking to Kevin Durant All-Star Weekend in the hallway. Specific to Irving, and, and I, I hope you like talking about him because we're going to do a lot on Kyrie Irving right here, but all the ups, all the downs of his season to this point. What I'm really wondering, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you here as opposed to a Celtics beat writer or someone really tied into Boston, what's the national perception of him? I mean, I think the national perception of him, he is an ungodly shot maker. I mean, we were just watching that kind of reverse in the final four minutes the other night. You know, imagine just kind of journalists and scouts, you know, a lot of real basketball people kind of uh, development guys eating dinner before the game, after the you know sort of the, the warm ups are concluded, and mm. you know so we're, we're all watching this game on on a huge television before the Lakers Rockets, and just you know just sort of the the absolute awe in which like we don't know that there's a better shot maker in the league, and and how vital that is in in sort of postseason situations where frankly the game does degenerate into this often you know mano a mano or put the ball in the hands of that guy. I mean we saw Kyrie win a game seven in 2016 so i think there's that and he's also an incredibly eccentric guy um a guy who hasn't fully grasped the nuances of leadership uh, granted one who's been put in a difficult position in this respect his team succeeded without him mm-hmm. so he becomes sort of the you know the newest incarnation of the patrick ewing theory the <laughs> team that overachieves you know minus him minus gordon and so he comes back, and, and for whatever reason, the team you know, isn't succeeding relative to expectations. And so yeah, everybody kind of looks at the equation. Oh, what, what's the variable here? Oh, oh, this guy. You know? and, and, so, and yet, all the while, you know, he thinks he probably wants to lead. And I, I say that conditionally because, you know, I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see his, his you know, decision this offseason. I still believe he'll end up back in Boston. And, and I don't say that with any great intel i mean i, I with a little bit of intel like i'm you know if, if everybody else is putting the probability at 52 percent, i probably put it at 69 or 70 mm-hmm. um and, and that's based on some intel but not, not a great deal but i i just think he's regarded as just ungodly as a shot maker um a guy who's i think compensated for a lot of his defensive issues and uh and that's saying a lot i mean i think there's a lot of praise there I, you know like you and, and you know, any time, and Ray Allen was this guy, right? I mean, he was part of the, one of the worst defensive teams in history in Seattle, comes to Boston. We're all saying, how on earth can they even have a, a top 10 defense if that guy's sort of at the top, you know, your wing defender at the two, which at the time was a big deal when he actually had shooting guards in this league who could score. Now we have like four of them. <laughs> and, you know, lo and behold, they put up, you know, they become the greatest defense of all time, you know, in, in, in 08, 09, or I'm sorry, either 07, 08. Right. So, you know, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of. I don't. I would say there's a lot of respect. I think that's actually something people forget about, except the true junkies, um, that he's become passable um, and occasionally engaged, and you know, engaged enough when it matters. And you know, that's something. But yeah, he, he's he's truly eccentric, and um, but it's just a guy who just strikes fear in you in, in a in a in a in a late possession game. Since you brought it up, I was going to do it a little bit later on, but since you brought it up in terms of his future, and you can only reveal so much clearly, but let's chip away just a little bit about that intel to this end. If you are to believe he's 
70% chance that he returns to Boston. And I know there are a lot of people like you alluded to nationally who would put it far lower. I think there are a lot of people around Boston that believe it is higher. You can put biases wherever you want. But if there's something in particular or some things that alter that decision, that make him totally flop on everything he said going into the season, that he wants to retire in Boston and wants to be part of this long term, and that 70% that you said goes the other way, the 30% wins out, what is it? You know, what changes course? I I think kind of an ugly second-round exit um, where, you know, and and, and sort of the, the blame really comes down on him. And Boston can be a very unforgiving place about that. Everything's under a microscope. Um, There's a certain, and I I don't want to be overly critical here to your audience, but there's a certain brand of hysteria that that exists in Boston that uh, it doesn't even exist in New York or or Chicago. And, you know, that I think, you know, I mean, so often while we sit here and speculate in February and March, and, you know, I've had this conversation with high-profile players, like the information isn't in the bank yet. Like, like there is nothing, there are few things, I say, more pivotal than playoff fate. I mean, I often wonder, I mean, the, the Thunder are up 3-1 in 2016 right. over the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. I mean, one of the great counterfactuals in NBA-like history is like, okay, so what if that happens? I mean, what if the Thunder close them out? You know, what, what kind of conversation are we having? Uh, and maybe he takes a one year and, and you know, kind of plays at LeBron, but, but I, I think for Kyrie... You know, I, I just don't think the, all the information, the, the election returns aren't in yet, right? Like, like how are they going to fare this postseason? You know, and then I think there's probably a conversation with Danny and and Kyrie and his people, which is, okay, I mean, let's talk AD here. You know, I mean, you know, is this a pivotal factor? Is this, I mean, you know, how badly is do you want this? You know, are you too interested in building something together? Take a quick break to tell you today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Lots of good NBA games coming up this week to throw some money on. Celtics have a back-to-back with the Raptors and Blazers Tuesday and Wednesday. You got a clash with the Wizards on Friday. You can go to BetOnline.ag today to get in on the action. BetOnline.ag is CLNS Media's preferred online sportsbook. Go to clnsmedia.com slash win, get a 50% bonus when you sign up, or use the promo code CLNS50. Don't be left on the sideline with all this excitement going on on the court. Plus, you can play in BetOnline's virtual casino and make some real cash there, too. Whatever you do, make sure you use betonline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Or just go to clnsmedia.com slash win. All right, back to the show. Do you think any of Boston's future or Irving's future in Boston is dependent upon Danny Ainge's ability to deal for Anthony Davis? I say that, I guess, in the sense of, do you see a scenario where he still returns, even if Davis ends up getting traded to the Lakers or somewhere else? Oh, sure. I, I, I see it. I see a scenario. Sure. I mean, you know, the interesting thing is, is we, we've kind of focused on Davis, but the, I mean, they have assets, you know, if not that guy, I mean, there might be some other guy. I mean, you, you just don't know. And um, but I, I think it's uh, measurably tethered to Davis. I don't I don't think entirely. And I think probably people are overstating it a little bit. But I, I do think it, it, it's got to be a factor. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I truly believe that Kyrie wants to win. I mean, that's always the cloud hanging over New York is there's just I mean, if you're an empiricist and it's like, well, have we seen it? You know, what in recent history suggests that this franchise can foster winning? Now, there's also the issue of you know, top 10 players, and if you consider Kyrie, let's call it top 15, wherever you put them, yeah. 
uh, also tend to have great confidence in themselves. And, th- and there is also this sense of, yeah, but they've never had me there. Hmm. Right. And that's a good thing. I mean, you want to I mean, that's why these guys are them. Right. Is they, they actually truly believe that they believe that they have the superpower to turn one of the most woebegone franchises in sports. I mean, let's just call it the Knicks are a freaking train wreck. Um, <laughs> and they've been a train wreck forever. I mean, and it's not just, oh, they've underachieved. Like they haven't been able to get free agents. I mean, Charlie Ward, I think, was the most like the last kind of free agent they signed kind of out. I, I, <laughs> someone told me this the stat lately and I was going through it. I was like, oh God, they're right. Um, so <laughs> when your most high profile Carmel, free agent signing is a football player. Yeah. I mean, you know, and so, but you know, on the other hand, you have incredible talents who, you know, their view of the world is, yeah, but they haven't had me yet. Um, I actually believe Kyrie enjoys, you know, despite his, and I have some sympathy for the kind of the Durant video stuff. I mean, it gets a little, I imagine, um, and I'm obviously pro journalism and pro media. I mean, I imagine it gets, you know, the guy is his friend. I mean, you know, all-star weekends, basically just kind of a retreat for the NBA's elite. And these guys really generally like each other and, you know, and they're fun. I also think that they like flirting. I mean, I do think that there's a sense that Kyrie enjoys speculation a little more than, they let on the way I think Durant, you know, likes the speculation more than he lets on. I think they like the privilege of venting about it, but I don't know that the indignation is always sincere. Well, here, let me but... let me cut you off with that. Just for anyone, if you happen to live under a rock and you haven't heard some right, of right. the the rant, right, Irving, you know, he, he went off when asked about his chat with KD. This is some of what he had to say. What I do in my life is my business. So it's none of yours, none of anybody's, it's not anybody's business, right? So it's a video of me and one of my best friends talking, and then it turns out to be a dissection of a free agency meeting. Get that? Like, do you get that? And then I'm asking, I'm asked questions about it. Like that, that's what disconnects me from all that, because like, I, I have no connection to that. Over a video, I'm asking questions about the fans. You brought up the fans, no more. Do it for the likes and clicks. Everybody does. Everybody wants to hear me talk like this. Like, everybody wants to hear every athlete talk about like this. This makes no sense. So, Kevin, I actually happen to be one of the few people around here that, as much as I, I can't stand a lot of Kyrie's tone or dismissiveness or attitude or message or belief in the way that he does or says things a lot of the time, in this particular instance, I think he's right. You know, I, I think he has a yeah. right to be upset with with being grilled about what was effectively, and I realize this this is a weird construct of a sentence, but effectively a private chat in a public hallway. You know, I, I, I find it very hard to believe, maybe I'm wrong, I find it very hard to believe that just right out there in the open, they're having a, a conversation about where they want to play together next year and that Kyrie's two fingers going up are about max contracts as, you know, the, the lip readers of the world were trying to figure out. I, I just, I, I do think in this situation, he's being treated a bit unfairly. Yeah, and I'm with you, I think. I mean, I, I think we, we share sort of, I, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge fan of his sort of leadership style. Um, I think he's still kind of learning it. And, and again, I, I think he might figure out that he doesn't necessarily want that as the sole. He doesn't want to be a, you know, kind of the, 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 the judge, jury, and executioner in the locker room. Um, at the same time, yeah, I mean, the thing fans have to understand is, like, these guys are effectively colleagues. I mean, they're both Nike guys. Um, you know, they, they run in similar circles. I, I mean, these guys do have lives that are about things. I mean, I mean, think about everybody listening kind of at your workplace. How often in the break room or at lunch or just, BSing near the cubicles is the conversation actually about work 
right? Sure. I mean, we can all perform this exercise, right? You're talking about last night's game. You're talking about Game of Thrones. You're talking about your girl, your guy. I mean, whatever. Like, like you know, just, just think about, like, kind of use the parallel. You know, <laughs> where are you going to go for dinner? Um, we went to, the, oh, last night at this party, right? I mean, I imagine All-Star Weekend, that's, that occupies a great deal of the conversation. Yeah. I mean, this notion that that's because we care about where they're playing next year, that that would be where these two guys are talking about and not like get a load of what so-and-so did last night at the, you know, at, at the party at the Ritz or whatever it is. Well, but also to, like, to like, Kyrie's yeah. point, you know, removing even the substance of that conversation, because like you said, who the hell knows? It's still right. like that conversation happening in the cafeteria at your workplace from that I'm observing from 10, 15 feet away, that conversation's none of my business. Even though it happened in the public, that doesn't mean I can come over and say, hey, what were you talking about? And you have to tell me. Right. I mean, that, and that is the thing, right? Like you're asking me to relay the contents of a private conversation, even as a public person. And um, so I, I kind of felt for him yesterday. And I, I rarely do that. I mean, I do think the performative aspect, I mean, I think Durant shtick the other, I mean, meanwhile, Durant wasn't even pissed off about about being asked about free agency because no one in Oakland's asked him about free agency. I mean, that was a farce. You know, he was pissed off at Ethan Strauss because Ethan Strauss, you know, relayed a story from a teammate that, you know, Duran is pissed off because he's not regarded in the same kind of category as LeBron, despite winning these championships, despite being the MVP, despite being what he thinks is the best player on the best team. And lo and behold, we still kind of put him on a rung below. Right. And I mean, that's why he was pissed off at Strauss. It had nothing to do with questions that don't even exist. No one in Oakland has asked him <laughs> about free agency. I'm sorry. I mean, we're not talking Duran. I just, you know, but it kind of reminded me. I mean, this is yeah, where no, very I, similar. I, kind of, I I'm sympathetic to, to Kyrie and, you know, I don't buy Durant's act at all. I and get you know, that. Kyrie, this he face. I mean, I know he sneaks out once in a while, but that guy faces the music too. He doesn't. He doesn't take nine days off hiatus. Unless I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, he he does. He, he generally faces the music. Yeah, more often than not, he meets with the media, and and I'm certain he does it when he doesn't feel like doing it. I just, you know, going back to the the leadership stuff. Kyrie doesn't know how to lead. He says he wants to. Seems to believe this is maybe where he gets in trouble a little bit. He seems to believe that he should be a leader simply because he's won a title or he's the most talented player on the team, but it doesn't work that way. You know, you don't get to automatically be a leader just because you say you are, and I think that's why a lot of the time this season he has alluded to the need for leadership on this team. He can't get out of his own way. He's a big prisoner in the moment. You know, he says what he feels, like before the season, talking about a future in Boston to a couple of weeks ago with the ask me to lie first about my free agent future, puts his foot in his mouth all too often, says it won't happen again, and then it happens again, like calling out the kids, I shouldn't have done it that way, I'm not going to do that again, and then chatting with Rachel Nichols at the All-Star break once again, talks about the maturity of the Jason Tatums and Jalen Browns and Terry Rozier's of the world. I just, is it that he just can't get out of his own way or doesn't care, or is it that, I don't know, maybe he creates some of the this drama because he does like it and just wants the attention doesn't really care how he gets it i mean i think in terms of sort of opening his mouth i think it's just impulse control <laughs> i mean I, I i think it's i think it's advisable i mean look as much as we love to say oh that guy's unvarnished honesty like i do think there is value in sort of putting a filter particularly given the media landscape particularly since literally 10 after se- 10 seconds after you utter it it's going to be circulating in the ether. Mm. Uh, I, I just honestly, I, I think so much of these conversations about behavior really come down to impulse control. And I don't even think, and, and by the way, yeah, that also impacts leadership. And to your point, you know, it makes it much more difficult to leave. I mean, again, I, I think I think 40% of it is like this weird, pat, you know, Ewing effect 
circumstance, right? Like, like the level of degree, because, you know, guess what? The guy has won a championship, right? Like he did take the biggest shot, you know, in the last decade in, in the NBA, other than probably Ray Allen um, in, in Miami. But, uh, you know, I mean, he does have a claim on, quote, leading by example, right? Uh, but it is, again, it's, it's, there's just an impulse control and I, it's, it, it, and it's, and frankly, I mean, the other problem is, is, you know, I, I can't get in the locker room, but my understanding from everybody I talked to is those guys actually demonstrate great maturity for their age. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I think it's something you have to recognize if you're Kyrie, right? Like these guys aren't, this isn't Dion waiters in year three here, man. <laughs> like, like you're not, you know, I mean, like these guys have have demonstrated exceptional leadership. I mean, I, I don't love Jason's shot selection all the time this year. You know, I mean, the kind of the the hazards of working out with Kobe all summer. Um, right. but, but man, I mean, that guy has demonstrated real maturity. So, like, part of it is like giving credit where credits due. You know, it's not just you know, praising a guy after a good game. I mean, it, it's it's sort of acknowledging that. And and you know, one of the things that like really good leader stars do is it's sort of, you know, it's giving guys the, even if you regard yourself as the sort of leading authority on the team, you give guys the impression that they actually have a piece of the enterprise, right? Like, even if you don't think privately that Jalen Brown is a, is, you know, has, has staked himself to any claim of leadership, let him believe he has. Like, that's what really good – I mean, leaders who – I mean, Tim Duncan was sort of the master at this, right? You know, letting himself get balled out every day by pop. Mm. You know, feeling like, hey, this guy is the fair-haired child today, even if he wasn't, right? And I think that's just such – there's so many nuances to leadership. And I just think – like, the interesting thing is I, I think Kyrie actually has a very complicated inner life. But I also think he kind of misses so many of the nuances of leadership and just sort of it's real kind of, you know, it, it's just it's it's really nuanced. It's really complex. It's just knowing it's it's just having an emotional IQ. And, you know, I, I don't know that he has it. I mean, and I think he may one day. I mean, the funny thing is, is I thought I thought the LeBron acknowledgement was smart. I also think that you have to be careful of the subtext. There's a way to do that. There's a way to sort of own up and say, hey, you know, and I just don't think he empowers. And it's a real problem. I think that's all true. And going back to something you said before, I just and I, I said this at the time of the trade. I was one of the very few around Boston who was critical of the trade when it was made. And I do think that there are very few ways this trade looking back when we do years from now could be a loss or or even a break even. I mean, I guess it's a break even if they win nothing and he leaves after this year and then how can you say it's a win? But it's not a a devastating loss because Isaiah Thomas has been nothing since the Nets pick wasn't number 1, it was number 8, you know, it was Sexton, big deal, Jay Crowder, whatever. So it's the the high upside continues to exist clearly on the Boston side, but one thing that I, you know, I said and, and maintain, and it, it does fly in the face of something you said, is I just don't know that winning is all that important to him, that it is a top priority, despite it obviously being something that he talks about all the time. He wanted out of a championship-level situation with LeBron. He may jump ship here in Boston for an inferior option like New York, which at least is inferior if it's just him. Maybe it's it's different if Duran is with him or Davis is with him or, or they find a way to turn that dumpster fire upside down. But what really interests me, Kevin, is that 
based on my Twitter mentions, fans around here claim, and I, I stress that word, they claim they are fed up with Kyrie to the point where they say as much as I find this hard to believe that they won't care if he walks this summer. That it that even you know even the lack of cap space and that that your replacement is Terry Rozier they don't care because they're so tired of listening to the guy talk. I think it's insane for a range of reasons. But how big a blow would that be when you do look back and say Boston reached the conference finals without him nine and two this year when he's out? The drama we've witnessed throughout this season. Thomas only annoyed people by talking about getting paid and the Brinks truck and all of that. Would Irving's loss just not be that devastating? All right, so I, I'll take issue with two things. I mean, one is I actually kind of think he was smart in Cleveland. He got out ahead of the cavalry, right, because LeBron was leaving, and he didn't want to be in a situation where, oh, now, you know, now look at me, and I, you know, and I'm locked up, and, you know, now it's me and Gilbert, and, you know, uh, you know it's just I, I have no qualm with that. I thought he put together a really admirable list of places. You know, it wasn't lost to me, I, you know, that San Antonio was on that list. That to me reflects in Boston, right? Like, I mean, that reflects a desire to win. Now, I, I agree with you in this sense that saying you want to win and actually doing what is necessary from a leadership standpoint. But I, I think he thinks he wants to win, and I, and I, and again, I, I think he's just fiercely competitive. Now, there's where I think the Celtics fans that won't care are wrong. I mean, a, I happen to think he's he's a really valuable player, but b, you never want a team that is capped out to lose that guy for nothing. Right. Like, right. like, I just think it's, it's just bad, you know, control the asset. I mean, you sign him and want to trade him in another year. I mean, boy, you'd have takers for Kyrie on a four year deal. Right. I mean, you yeah. really, um, you know, cause that, that's a max guy that I think a lot of front offices around the league would perceive as a max player. And if he just becomes, you know, toxic and I, I don't think, I mean, I, that, that look, he's, a, he's, he's mercurial and <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, I and, and it's, it's true, but, I mean, there are no – I mean, you know, we, we, we sort of, I think, get spoiled by Steph, and I think Giannis is going to be one of these guys, but just a lot of these guys at that level. I mean, Durant's like that. You know, we can go – AD is like that. And, you know, you talk to sort of really hysterical New Orleans fans, and they're sort of like, what the hell did he ever win here? That, I think, is, you know, what, he's not durable. You know, he's not kind of – he doesn't have the sort of it factor. You know, he's not a, he's not a killer. All right, congratulations, you swept Portland. You know, hey, all this, hey, who are we not surrounding you with? You know, Drew Holiday is a guy that 29 other teams would like. I mean, that's a, you know, you have a great running mate, you know. Like, like you know, list these guys up. If you're LeBron, you know, you know, if you're, you know, you know, who, you know if you're whoever, I mean, so none of these guys are perfect with the exception, of course, of Steph and, you know, maybe Giannis. But you go through the top 10 players, they're all kind of problematic, in some ways, even LeBron to some extent, right? Um, they're all a little bit, you know, it's difficult and, and, you know, at times problematic. And, and that's, that's the thing. So like, kind of be careful what you wish for. Um, and if they're not problematic that way, it's maybe they're too reticent, like, you know, Davis or, um, but we could go through that roster and uh, of players and find, you know, and pick the nits of every one of them. I'm not saying, I'm a huge Kyrie guy and this sort of persona leadership. And I know it can be difficult to listen to the guy, but like even just watching last night, I mean, watching some of these games, I mean, watching that Toronto game. I mean, just remember that is ultimately the the bulk of your grade. And, you know, when I watched that, you know, Toronto game from a hotel room the the week before Thanksgiving, I mean, 
Oh, man. I mean, it's just like there are not that many guys who can do that. That's a big win against the conference rival. You know, last night, if not for a couple of, you know, and I know he had a bad shooting night in the first half, but like, you know, there are just not a lot of guys who can, you know, do that. So just kind of be careful what you wish for. Now, again, to your point, you know, if they have a second round exit and all of a sudden it's like, well, what is the track record here exactly? You know, his absence produced one of the more sort of encouraging seasons in recent Celtic history. His presence produced one of the more disappointing seasons in Celtic <laughs> history. The proof is in the pudding. Who cares? I can get that a little bit. But let I me mean, let's see how it plays out. I still think the Celtics are scary. Your answer to this question would be different, clearly, based on whether he decides to resign or whether he decides to leave. But just looking at it right now and all that has happened this season and all the drama that we've been talking about and who knows what's in store over the next couple of months, do you believe that Danny Ainge gambled on the wrong guy when he traded Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, and that last unprotected Nets pick for Irving? No, not at all. I mean, I mean, he, he look, Isaiah, paying Isaiah would have been a real problem, and we all know that. And I know the guy was great, and it was a great story. And he was sort of the embodiment of the ascension, right? This team that went through this difficult rebuild, you know, he sort of consummated or, or provided the crescendo of where they, you know. And, and I think, but paying him was going to be a problem. And I mean, just look what's happened. Um, no fault of his. It's just the injury. Um, small point guards can be, you know, a certain liability over time. You know, Jay, he got at the height of his value. I mean, Jay is a really nice player. I'm a big Jay Crowder guy. I've been a big Jay Crowder guy. He's kind of one of those no-stat all-stars. You know, the advanced numbers have always loved, and I'm kind of one of those bow-at-the-altar-of-analytics of guys hmm. to some extent. I, I still think chemistry is important. Um, you know, and then the pick ultimately kind of, you know, all of a sudden Brooklyn started playing basketball. So um, and overachieving under Kenny Atkinson. So I do think that it was a great trade. It was a great try. You go and get that guy. You know, hey, if it turns out, hey, his leadership style is 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 a little um, lacking. Okay, I mean that's a risk you take. But man, look at that deal. You know, like I mean, I don't know where this team is right now with Thomas and Hayward. You know, Al and, and and the young guys. I mean, maybe the young guys develop. Maybe they, you know, maybe they. You know, you never. There are all these sort of weird variables and counterfactuals and butterfly effects. I mean, Kyrie really opens the floor up for wings. He just does in a way that Isaiah, you know, doesn't. Is as good a penetrator as he is. I mean, I, I just, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Jason is, you know, seventeen percent worse or twenty eight percent worse. You know, like you just don't know. You know, so it, it, it's hard to say. I love that trade, and I still love that trade. It's it's the right trade to make. All right, I think that's more than enough Kyrie for now. Let's just for a moment go back to Davis because all the narrative is he just doesn't want to be in Boston. He tried to squash that at the All-Star game. I never said Boston wasn't on my list. I never said they was not on my list. I never said it was not on my list. All right, so that's because Davis later said that all 29 other teams are on his list in an interview with NBA TV. Even his dad piggybacked on it back around the Super Bowl saying he doesn't want him here in Boston. Here's my question that I I feel like is not being dissected enough. Why wouldn't the C's be in consideration? All right, so first of all, I think a lot of that early on was posturing. He wanted to be in Los Angeles. He wanted to basically convey to the Pelicans and the, and the Celtics, you're going to need to stand down this summer unless you want to be as a rental. Right? I mean, I think a lot of that was posturing early on in a, in a, because he wanted to be 
a Laker by the All-Star break. And so the way, you know, I mean, think about that list. It was, it was literally the three teams that had no capacity to deal for him, right? Um, I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't know that he's dying to play with Giannis Antetokounmpo in, a, in, in one of the league's small, smallest markets. Um, maybe. I don't know. Um, a guy who plays his position, by the way, and he's been very adamant that he's not a five. Um, I talked to him one-on-one as recently as a few months ago, and he was adamant that he's not really a five. Uh, so, I mean, that, that, I, I, I think there's, it, there's no coincidence with that. Now, I, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I think Garnett really changed the conversation. I do think there is still a sense, and it, it, it kind of just dates back, and it's probably not a – I'm not going to tell what people should or should not feel, but I, I don't know that it's – it should hold in this day and age, but I still think there's a reputation for Boston, just given the legacy of it as a sports town, that it's not a place where African-American players have historically, I want to say this, wanted to play. I mean, Garnett said as much prior to the deal. Now, I think that 2008 through 2011 team really changed the tune on that, and I think that's a great thing. Um, because, you know, it, it's just such a storied franchise with, you know, a rabid fan base and should, by all accounts, have every consideration if you're truly interested in winning, right? You know, it, it's cold. I know that sounds weird. I know he comes from Chicago, <laughs> but, like, I mean, it's really cold in Boston. Like, like I think – and I know that Bostonians have no uh, reverence or affinity for Los Angeles, which is where I live. It's a really nice place to be a young guy with money. I mean, it is, like – it's kind of a playground. I mean, just say nothing of the climate and just, you know, the Laker aura. You know, it just is a really pleasant place to live if you have money. And in a way that no disrespect to Boston. It's just, it, you know, it's an, it's an older, different kind of city with a different kind of soul. And intelligent people can disagree as a matter of taste on that, right? And it doesn't have necessarily that garden appeal. And there's something about New York City. And I, I just think it's sort of... You know, I, I think for guys, it's just in their imagination, it's just not necessarily a place that's kind of on the A list. It's like on the B list. That said, I think the Celtics should do it if they can um, or pursue them. I'm not going to – I don't want to make the do they deal Tatum thing because I, 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 that's a different conversation. But I do think that guys are also indicating that they can be persuaded – once they get there. I mean, I think Paul George has totally changed the mindset of every front office in the league. And I think that most franchises now are starting to get off, get up the confidence to say, if we can get here and we can, he can immerse himself in our culture, in our winning, like we can retain him. Let's bet on ourselves, you know? And I think the other factor is, is I can, I call it the warriors factor which is teams want to roll the dice. Like, like you can't be conservative anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say you can't be deliberate in your rebuild, but it's sort of like, you know, I mean, Houston kind of pushed all in, and I think they're still glad they did. You know, they got – they were up 3-2. I mean, I, you know, their failure to close that series wasn't a failure of, you know, a, a sort of a talent deficit. I mean, the bad luck with Paul and everything. But, you know, I, I think that is also another factor. So I think Paul George, combined with the Warriors, is sort of like we just need to – you know, we need to push our chips in. I mean, being risk averse is almost a guarantee in this league, you know, that you will be consigned to, you know, being in the upper middle class, but you'll never kind of get to the elite. And I, and I think that is sort of, you know, a big thing that, that, that I think speaks to Toronto, right? I mean, Sai Ujiri, the the president of, of basketball operations in Toronto said, you know, 
maybe Kawhi wants to be here. Maybe he can't. We're going to win. He's going to immerse himself in the city that I think once guys really kind of get exposed to, they really like. Um, it's, a again, another rabid fan base. You get to be king of a country. And, um, you know, management treats people well. Like, I mean, I think, it just, I, I know the DeMar thing notwithstanding, I mean, I think it is a, <laughs> a place where, hey, no, no, but I think you go to work at a great facility with yeah. a well-run, it's a well-run organization. Um, you know, and, and so I think, Masai was probably very well informed by Paul George and very well informed by if we want to do this with the Celtics and Sixers coming up in the buck. I mean, it's before the Bucks. like we need to do this like and it's a risk. Yeah, sure. It's a risk. We're going to do it. And so I think that's that, that's kind of the calculus. Listeners will find this hard to believe because we do it so often with so many of the guests. But I actually wasn't going to get into the whole would you deal Jason Tatum for Anthony Davis because uh, I think it's just such an overwhelming camp that would. I am in the shrinking camp that would not do it. But since you brought it up, what would you do? I have been going back and forth on this, you know, not the least of which because Tatum is still under such a great deal. You know, you're always trading contracts. You're not trading even potential. Like that deal for another what, three seasons, Mm -hmm. is just so favorable. I mean, you're going to get more value out of Tatum than you would Davis. And that's just something you have to consider. Now, that said, I want to look at what I'm looking at in April. And I I know this sounds like a cop-out, but you just don't have the information. What is the ceiling of this team? You know, if you get to the finals and you have a sense that, look, and there's still growth among these guys. Now, you could argue, hey, oh, Horford's going to be a little older. He's not going to get better. But when you sort of balance the books and look at the, you know, look at the talent on the team and, and, you know, is there still growth here? Is this our ceiling? And if the answer is no, boy, it makes it tough. I think you also really have to have an on. I mean, to me, the other variable and why I can't make a call yet is, you know, we think, I, I mean, if you want to bet on yourself, but, like, let's get a probability. Is AD telling us, and, and, you know, and Rich Paul drives, you know, drives hard. Are they really going to just rent out and just go to the Lakers? Because here's what I'm concerned about. He's indicated clearly that money isn't the issue. So a four-year deal for less, he doesn't care. He just clearly doesn't care. I mean, so you can get more here has ceased to be a persuasive thing. I mean, look what the deal Paul George signed here for three years. I mean, it's clearly, I, I think we've gotten to the point with the cap and, and sort of max salaries where that law of diminishing returns, which is the extra money just isn't as important as it used to be. And so you just, I want to have a probability. If the probability is any less than 70% that, you know, if things work out well here, he will stay, I'm really skittish. I just am. And, and, you know, I have confidence that the Celtics, you know, have as strong a culture and that Brad is, is probably, you know, as much the kind of guy, the kind of coach guys want to play for that I think you still bet on yourself. And probably if you have that probability, you probably do it. Um, but I need to have really ironclad, good probability and confidence that he would stay and because that deal Tatum is on is really amazing. And because that becomes, if you deal, if you deal Tatum and you don't retain Davis, you know, you have, you know, cause the picks at some point after Memphis are going to start subsiding. And, you know, I, I have, you know, Ainge can probably pull a rabbit out of his hat as much as any 
executive in the league, but it's going to require some rabbit pulling Mm -hmm. because the conference is getting tougher. And so the risk of losing both, if you will, is just so extreme. Yet I'm starting to believe that given the mystery teams and who's going to be the Raptors in this scenario, that the Celtics probably would have to include Tatum in a deal. Like I just, you know, everyone's like, well, they still have the best. I mean, we were kind of going through it. Well, you're talking about the Memphis pick. Jalen is nice, but, you know, is that enough? And so that that's going to be the really, it's going to be a really tough call. Last quick break to tell you today's show is brought to you by The Athletic. If you haven't heard about The Athletic by now, you got to be living under a rock, right? These guys have been crushing every element of sports coverage imaginable. Whether you're looking for specific local coverage with beat guys, sports discuss under a national lens, or anything in between, you have to take a look at The Athletic. No pop-ups, no ads, just high-quality content waiting behind every single click. Jay King and Jared Weiss, some of the most knowledgeable guys that cover the Celtics. Also friends of this show. You can check them both out. They write for The Athletic. Plus, you got Sham Sharania, Sam Amick, Frank Isola, a bunch of other great NBA and college basketball writers. You can't get content like this anywhere else. 600, 750 new articles every week? Who else is pushing out quality content like that? If you haven't signed up yet, take advantage of this deal because it's not going to last forever. Go to theathletic.com slash Celticsbeat. Get 40% off your monthly subscription. That's a subscription for less than three bucks a month just by going to theathletic.com slash Celticsbeat. Shams, Amick, King, Weiss, all for less than three bucks a month? Sign me up. Sign yourself up. Go to theathletic.com slash Celticsbeat. All right, back to the show. Kevin, let's end with this because, one, I've kept you longer than I said I would, and two, it it brings us full circle nicely. The thing that brought us together were comments that you had made last April about how other NBA coaches, or at least one in particular, you know, how they view Brad Stevens. You said at the time that this anonymous coach believed that he's overrated. Now, back then, he'd only won one conference final game in his career. You could make the case over the last couple of years, you could make a strong argument Brad Stevens for coach of the year. We know he has not won it yet, but you could make that case. It was telling, I think, in some ways that his coaching community, his his peers, his brethren, didn't, he didn't get a single vote for coach of the year last year. Now, this year, I think it's a wide belief. I certainly feel this way. He's underachieved. Is he being exposed in any way? All right. I'm really glad we're talking about this because, and I normally, I, I don't, I'm not a Twitter guy and, and I don't really care what people say. I, I've got a nice life and my, my, you know, I, I'm generally a happy person. Good. <laughs> um, what I don't like is confusion. What I don't like is I'm sort of also an orderly person, and I don't, I, I take, I'm going to take umbrage with confusion. And I got it. I got another bout of it the other day because I went on, uh, you know, I went on the jump and talked about that this is a real, true challenge for Stevens. This, this team and the chemistry issues. So I'm, I'm glad we can clear this up. Uh, just to review for your audience, um, on Zach Lowe's podcast. I had, and look, I, I think the function of Zach Lowe's podcast, if anybody out there listens to it, I think a lot of people do, is it's a place where NBA journalists go and kind of talk about the chats we have when the microphones aren't on. You know, we kind of kind of give up a lot of our background, what we call, it, you know, sort of on background chats. And the whole origin of the story was I was sitting with a, a really well-regarded assistant coach who might be in a head coach one day and kind of singing the praises of Brad Stevens the way so many of us in the media do. Like, this is the guy you want, you know, you hire when you're rebuilding, and he could not only usher in sort of a, a, a team to prominence, but could really then preside over it, right? Like, the whole basis of the conversation is I was sitting there doing the Brad Stevens song, mm-hmm. okay? 
Sure. And the coach said, hey, and he did it very respectfully. He said, hey, listen, can, can I just stop you for a second? You know, we all admire Brad. I mean, we all steal from Brad. But, you know, you guys talk, you put him on Mount Rushmore, and you talk about him in terms that you reserve almost exclusively maybe for Greg Popovich. Again, we all admire him, but, like, hey, can you just – why don't you guys slow down? Like, he's won, you know, a single conference finals game. Uh, he, by the way, this notion that he doesn't – he does a lot with a little is expired because there's a lot there, you know? And, you know, at the time he had – I mean, Kyrie maybe just it didn't look like it was going to be a long-term injury, whatever it was. I don't remember the exact timing. But, you know, you have these high picks. You got Al. You got – you know, one of the, and Al was very much revered in the, in, in the community, um, in the coaching community. And, you know, I think there was just a sense that, hey, can you guys slow down on the Stevens idolatry? When I relayed that story, you know, I presented it as sort of a counter argument to Zach and I, who are sort of, I've always considered myself in the Stevens camp, and you can find this in my writing, you know, swooning about the culture he establishes, right? Mm-hmm. So the whole nature of the talk, I, you know, I, I related because I think, I find interesting counter arguments that are, you know, I like to steel man my arguments rather than straw man them. I am always curious about someone providing a devil's advocate that is thoughtful, that comes from authority. So I relay this message, and it was as much about conveying about professional jealousy in the coaching world. Because coaches are some of the most interesting, bizarre people in the world, assistants and head coaches. Like, they're all paranoid, first of all. Like, they're all literally paranoid. And they're all <laughs> – there's a little bit of professional jealousy. They can be a little bitchy too. Like, I mean – and so I conveyed it as sort of a story. Like, isn't this interesting? This guy that, that – the chasm of opinion between media people – and maybe you could maybe throw Bostonians in there who often can be really hard on coaches, right? Mm-hmm. And the coaching community, which reveres Brad. But like, you know, the guy also said that the coach also said, hey, look, look at some of the guys around the league who are doing amazing things with nothing, you know, who have established wonderful cultures. Like, you know, they just don't get the credit. And you guys have sort of elevated Brad and we think he's good. But like, let's see a little more. And like, you know, there are a lot of other guys you guys never mentioned. Uh, who just do a year, in, you know, with nothing. Um, you know, I mean, you know, the, the, the coach brought up, you know, Terry Stotts. He's like, we I mean, just look, Terry was supposed to be rebuilding for three years. And he, you know, fast-tracked that. You know, and so that was the point of the story. I felt exonerated when the coaches voted and Brad, eight guys got votes. One, Brad Stevens wasn't one of them. Now, that confirmed my story that coaches in the league don't – carry the same regard as the media, which is my whole point. This notion that I'm not in on, I'm out on Brad. Then on the jump, and I got a little bit of pushback the other day, one of the things I said is, look, Brad is, is spoken about as sort of an elite, elite, elite coach. This is his first real test. There's mm-hmm. always been this notion that his culture, that nobody builds a culture like Brad Stevens. I've been on that train. This is different. This is a true test. Brad is undeniably tactically brilliant. I mean, he's almost Rain Man <laughs> in his capacity. I was working on a story before they, um, you know, in case he made the finals about, you know, I've been told Brad has such a vision that he's the, like, that he can watch a basketball possession live, and if you just kind of stopped it at the end of that possession, he could tell you what all 10 guys were doing. Even the best coaches usually have to go to film or ask an assistant. You know, for you to be able to watch from the sidelines and almost with 
and commit to memory all what all 10 guys it's an incredible talent but the job in the nba in 2019 the the distribution of tactics and management it has swung so far to management the truth is all these guys run good stuff and the task at hand now is can you keep the team together can you keep everybody rowing in the right direction and that is a painstaking just process with an enormous degree of difficulty and so what i said on the jump and then everyone you know a bunch of you know celtic fanatics got oh kevin arnim it's a go blaming it on brad stevens again <laughs> no i'm not blaming it on brad stevens what i'm saying is this is a real test for him if he is truly as good as members of the media regard him as this is going to be a real test. Can he keep these guys all on the same page, keep them from killing one another, and advance to a finals or at least a very you know, competitive, like last year, conference finals performance? Because if you do believe he is the elite of the elite, this is a test. I don't mind challenging you know, coaches and players, for that matter, I really revere and say, hey, this is a test. You know, I've... Because yeah, I think we're sometimes just too fixed in our opinions. Like, we can modulate. You know, we can have our confidence, our confidence in a player and a coach. By the way, outside of basketball, you know, in a friend, in a mate. I mean, it can – they're always tests. We don't know. I mean, it, it, and this so far is they're always tests. People can fail and succeed over time. And, uh, you know, a body of work is determined in judgment different juncture, different ways at different junctures. You know, we all thought this player was great. Oh, it turned out that, you know, he didn't have the endurance. Or when he was put to the test, he didn't really, he wasn't that guy. Or, wait, dedication wanes over time. Or, you know, we make assumptions about people's efficacy, and, and it turns out like, hey, we overrated it a little bit or we underrated it a little bit. Mm. Brad Stevens may go down as one of the greatest coaches of his generation when it's all over. I would put that, and again, I'm a man who deals in probabilities. I don't think people are great or awful. Like, I think the probability of Brad Stevens going down as one of the great coaches of a generation is relatively high to anybody of these other young coaches. You know, there's a probability that he's going to go down as a very, very good coach. And, and that's all I'm saying is there's a sense in the community that we don't have the track record yet. And there is something about the Boston effect, which is because fans are so knowledgeable and so passionate everything gets amplified. You know, a guy who is very, very good and showing a lot of promise becomes, you know, the greatest of all time. A guy who struggles a little bit becomes, get this guy out of here. Right? Like, there, <laughs> it does, it, it is, like, Boston... Here? No. Like, before social... <laughs> right. Like, before social media was social media, like, Boston was almost real-life Twitter 30 years before there was even a thing, where, you know, this notion on social media is an opinion moves further and further to the extreme with each passing moment. Right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, whether it's politics or culture or whatever it is. And Boston's very much like that. So that was the whole point. I'm not out on Brad Stevens. I admire the hell. I mean, the comportment. I mean, as somebody who's trying to kind of incorporate mindfulness in his life and meditating, like, God, if I could go through one day in my life with the comportment of Brad Stevens, it will be total salvation for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, Likewise. Like, man, I mean, I watch that guy. I mean, it's amazing. And that can't be anything other than an additive. Like, that has to have an effect on guys, right? Like, to see that kind of steely, measured confidence where nothing is too, you know, the highs are never too high, the lows are never too low. But I just think there's a lot of confusion among, and again, I don't, I don't think people are thinking about what I think about Brad Stevens, but it clearly was a community that took that and I think was very confused 
about the substance of my comments. And then again, the other day, to say, what, does anyone disagree with me? Does anyone not believe the troubles that have afflicted the Celtics this year present a real challenge to Brad Stevens between now and June? Does anyone not believe that? Does anyone not believe that that's not going to be some test of his management skills? Of course it is. Why would you think otherwise? And that's all I said the other day is this guy is revered as an all-time you – know, really, it's true. The coach was right. We do speak of him in terms reserved really only for Rick Co- Robinson, Coaching deities? Rick Carlisle. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's all I'm saying. Coach is right about that. We yeah. do regard him in Boston and in the media. And that's, I don't mean to be repetitive, but does anyone not believe that this is not going to be a challenge? And that's all I said. And I said there's a lot of press professional jealousy about Brad. Guess what? There was, and we saw it. Like, that's it. Those are the two claims. I stand by them. And I think folks who interpret that as hostility or, or, or criticism of Brad from me are deeply <laughs> confused. I'm glad we were able to clear it up because I know obviously it's it's something that had uh, had lingered for a little while. So I I wanted to give you the opportunity to you know share all of that. So I am glad we did it. You know to your point about his comportment, his his meditation, everything like that. Like that's the reason that I've I've often you know Bill Simmons likes to call him the president. Other people like to call him whatever it is. I like to call him my life coach. That's that's how I view Brad Stevens. He's what he is 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 he is he is an NBA level guidance counselor, and I say that in the best possible way. Way. The question, obviously, and we don't have an answer, and and you know I don't want to discuss it right now simply because I've I've kept you as long as I have already, but and, and I don't think it's a particularly answerable question for for the two of us because Brad doesn't have an answer yet. Is how do you get that get everyone on the same page down the stretch here? How do you find that chemistry that was so good last year, absent a couple of big stars, and now that everybody is back and relatively healthy and and there are no significant serious injuries down the stretch, how do you discover chemistry which has really not been there all year long? And and you're right. It's an exceptional challenge facing him in the same way that I've always said about Danny Ainge. Going back to the Nets trade when he had all those picks coming his way before there was a Tatum, before there was a Brown, before there was Irving here, I've said Danny Ainge is in an incredibly, incredibly enviable position. That being said, I wouldn't want to be him because he has to get it right. And that was always the thing with Ainge. It remains the thing with Ainge. And, and to that end, it's the thing with Stevens. And by the way, it's the thing with 30 GMs and 30 coaches. Yep. I mean, but I, you know, it's so interesting. And, and by the way, I'm having a great time, so you're not keeping me. Well, um, thank you. I appreciate that. It's me a too. wonderful conversation. I, I hope we do it again soon. Absolutely. Um, it, it truly is. I mean, the X's and O's, I think because of scouting, because of just sheer experience, that's the easy part now. I mean, sure, adjustments and in-game adjustments. And, you know, and Brad's a fantastic in-game coach. I mean, just truly. I mean, Carlisle, I still think, is the best at that. Um, but man, Brad's right there. And But what's been – and you, you see it, everything we talked about for 45 minutes, right? Kyrie and the free agent speculation and media and everything else. Like, the truth is, is X's and O's is the easy part now. It really is. And you've got brilliant assistants and defensive coordinators and, and – you can watch the film and you can make, you know, literally they're watching the film in game now mm-hmm. and like making the adjustments. So that's the easy part. The hard part is being the CEO. You've got demanding executives who are under tremendous pressure, who second guess, you. even the really patient ones. They, 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 they you know, it's never copacetic. Um, by the way, I, I've heard respectful critiques of Brad's coaching X's and O's style from people inside the Celtics 
um, front office. By the way, that is no news scoop. I have yet to hear in talking with any executive or scout for a team or, hell, even sometimes assistant coaches. Like, ah, I'm trying to get them to believe. You know, like, that is normal. But the responsibilities of the job, because of everything we've been talking about, it's that's really where they make their grade now, is can you keep this team together? You know, it's why I think, like, like, you know, Dave Yeager is doing such a great job in Sacramento with like a team that we thought were going to win 18 games. I mean, I know everyone in Boston thought, ooh, goody, goody, goody. We've got the number two or three pick, right? Yep. I mean, I because mean, I, I heard it all September and October. That right? was the belief. I mean, you know, to turn that crappy franchise that has had like the black cloud over it since like 1841, since like Sutter explored Central California in the 19th century, <laughs> right? Like, I have so much admiration because like there are a lot of young guys who think they're the man. You know, and yet it's like, God, you go to SAC and spend a week there and it's the happiest place on earth. And they're like, you know, for for basically 500. You know, it's why I have so much respect for Kenny Atkinson. Who are these guys? And they all believe in their talents and they're all just play their asses off every night. You know, and I just think that that is now the grade. And so to the extent we can, if you want to judge Brad, I'm not a big, I'm not a terribly judgmental person. Um, but if you want to judge him, this is the exam now. This is his graduate-level thesis. Is I have a kind of a nutty best player. You know, I've got a guy who's a max guy who's trying to rebuild his competence, and it's hard. Like, like even I think you know Hayward has been a really interesting project for them because it's like, how do you build about a guy's competence again? And Given that we want to win a championship, we want to build up his confidence, but frankly, we don't always want him on the floor given that he's not the guy we thought he was. Mm. How do you calm down like, you know, young guys who are, you know, exuberant but also temperamental? You know, Brown is such a complicated such a smart but really complicated human being. Um, I love Jalen Brown. I mean, that's a different conversation for a different day. Um, but yeah, that that's a project too. But this is the challenge for but every coach in the league is we've gone from being, are you at it's the days of Hubie Brown are over, right? Where, <laughs> Oh, he's just a brilliant tactician. Mike D'Antoni's not even Mike D'Antoni anymore. Right? Like his project is entirely different. Now. Yeah. I mean, he's done with the intellectual part of his career. Like, you know, and meanwhile, they're not playing anything like D'Antoni ball. It's anti D'Antoni ball. The ball, ball finds energy. No, the ball does not find energy in Houston anymore. It finds one guy. Um, but <laughs> and he shoots from project. three and that's about it. Yeah, and that's it. But that's the thing. And so that's – the entire league has changed, even if you've only been a fan for 10 years. Like, it, it is – we're at the most volatile point of sort of NBA kind of thinking and just all of these issues. It's just so it, – it's just unknowable. I think everyone has whiplash in the league. Every GM who thought he knew everything is just like, what is going on? Like, every scout who thought he – yeah, this is this is color by numbers. No, they're just like, what is going on? Every player is like, wait, I used to be able to say stuff, and it was just linger, and maybe it would appear in a column or one blogger, and it's like, holy. I mean, everyone is like, what is going on? This is like chaos in the league right now, and it's got everybody on edge. We'll leave it there, but we, uh, like you, I had a great time. We'll absolutely do it again. I really appreciate you hopping on, and uh, there's there's so much to pick through, even just from the chat that we had that, that, like you said, we barely touched on, really didn't touch at all on Hayward, on Brown, on so many of the challenges facing this team down the stretch. So I do look forward to doing it again, hopefully soon. You bet. Kevin Arnovitz of ESPN. Find him ESPN the magazine, ESPN.com, on the jump. He stays busy, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll definitely get him here on the Celtics Beat podcast once again.
I know we ran a little long. My producer and everyone else is probably going to kill me, but I love that. Kevin Arnovitz, ESPN. That was a really, really good, insightful, intelligent chat. I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Hopefully we'll do it again in the not-too-distant future, maybe maybe right around playoff time. But we are going to get out of here. Today's show brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash win or use the promo code CLNS50 to get a 50% bonus on your next deposit. Show also brought to you by Mint Mobile. Get your new wireless plan and a new SIM card shipped to you for free for just $15 at mintmobile.com slash podcast. Also, we are brought to you by The Athletic. Get 40% off your monthly subscription just by going to theathletic.com slash Speed. As usual, thanks to Evan, to Larry, John, Nick, everybody else at CLNS Media. Most of all, thanks to you. Subscribe to the Celtics Beat Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on YouTube. I will tweet the show out. I always do. And a subsection of, of additional tweets all about the show over the course of a week just to annoy you and make sure that you are hearing it. We always appreciate the listenership. Hell, you can get us on YouTube as well and subscribe to the CLNS feed there. Loads of player sound, the other CLNS shows across sports, not just Celtics. See how things go over the next week, and we'll do it again. All right, Gino, get us out of here. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.